Welcome to the Vale Christian Church Podcast. In our new series, Summer with the Family, Pastor Matt Miller has a message titled, Community. At Vale Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, I'm Matt Miller. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at the church, and uh, I love getting up here from time to time, being able to to speak with you guys and share a little bit about my heart. Um, My uh, role here at the church, as many of you guys probably know, if it's not your first Sunday, is standing out there, greeting people and checking people in and wandering around and connecting with folks in the courtyard. And um, I spend a lot of my time during the week just trying to get... Uh, people connected to the church at a deeper level. Get people, people connected to the church beyond Sunday morning. Um, it's the bulk of my time. Uh, I feel like I, and even before working in the church, I kind of have this story of watching community work in my own life. Um, before I was married, you know, we I basically got married inside of a community group. We were both single and going to the group and then came together and, and got married. And half of my wedding party was community group. And uh, the whole group, I think, was at the wedding. But um, it's been one of those things in my own journey, in my own story, that has kind of had an unexpected impact. I think when I first entered into it, it was kind of like, well, this is church. This is what you do. We should kind of go to these groups that they have. And then over time, just seeing how the Lord's used it to shape me and to shape my family and the impact that other families have had on us. And we've had another families, to watch people give their life to Christ or get baptized out of one of the community groups. And now I get to kind of step back and see that um, not only in my my own group, but in all of the groups at the church. There's a lot of groups at Vail Christian Church. So um, it's a really neat role. Um, I really love it. Uh, It's not always easy (laughs) because you're working with people, right? And and people are challenging sometimes and they're they're fickle, but um, I realize that everyone's on on a journey and a walk with the Lord just like I am. You know, um, so I'm going to uh, speak today about community. I'm going to kind of dive into that. Uh, on the back of your worship tool, I went ahead and I put all of the passages in order that I'm going to hit. If you guys have your Bible out or your phone out and you want to flip to the first one, I'd say go ahead and do it right now because we're going to cover quite a bit of ground. And when I come up to that verse, I'm going to put up on the screen and I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to wait for you to flip to it. So get there ahead of time, and I really would encourage you guys, use your, own, use your Bible. Um, follow along with me with, um, with the Bible in the chair in front of you or, um, or your phone, but just flip to the next passage each time I read one, and you'll always be in the right spot. So um, let's, let's kind of dive in. I want to start out talking about God's design for community life. Then we're going to get into, well, what's his strategy in that and what makes it difficult and that's kind of the direction we're going this morning. So starting out with, with, with God's design, it seems like we want relationships, right? That want, that need is universal. We want friends to laugh with. We want to share life with people. We want positive and healthy social relationships. Now, there's a difference between a common social relationship and biblical community. We're going to kind of draw a line between those this morning. Biblical community, it often overlaps the benefits of common social relationships. But biblical community, it also has other purposes in mind and challenges us to approach it differently than someone we'd say is maybe just a friend or just an acquaintance or someone we spend time with. Let's look at 
some of these verses that highlight this type of biblical community, and we're going to be in Philippians, starting out in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and verse 7. Let's read that together. So Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For it's right for me to think about all of you because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. So these believers in Philippi that Paul is writing to, these are the people that repetitively gave financially to his missionary journeys. He brings these guys up more than once as he writes. Um, They were the ones that came and visited him in prison. And visiting someone in prison in that day, it's different than visiting someone in prison now. When you, when you went and were associated with them, you risked damaging your reputation or kind of taking damage to your standing in, in the community because you're being associated now with a criminal or a prisoner. So it wasn't, it wasn't like just going and visiting someone in jail today. He's looking at these Philippian um, Believers, and, and to him, they were, they were more than just really great friends. They were more than people that he just went and visited or hung out with. They were more than people that he had a backyard meal, you know, sitting out on the porch and enjoying some barbecue or something. These guys were in the trenches of life and ministry with Paul. They were taking damage alongside Paul as he did ministry. It's the same way as he's looking at these guys. A soldier would look at those he's been in battle with. That's the idea of fellowship and community. When we're in community with other believers, sure, we often enjoy the relationships with them, but fellowship goes beyond enjoyable or easy relationship. Fellowship describes relationships that have purpose in providing support and encouragement. It's this idea of linking arms with other people around life and ministry battling and fighting together or fighting for one another. Paul qualifies this relationship a little further. If you just flip the page in your Bible and go over to chapter 2, I want to I read what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. So he says, Complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, Each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. I think that's the key phrase right there, to treat someone as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only with your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. That's a really high bar set for community or social relationships. That might be different in some ways than than what we're naturally looking for in relationships, even inside the church sometimes, I think. We live in a culture that rewards independence and honors individualism. And those kind of cultural norms, they stand in opposition to the way that we were designed and the way that we were created by God. It's difficult to take hold of this idea and really internalize it that the reason I'm here is for you. And for all the people in the audience to kind of look around the room and say, gosh, the reason I'm here, it's not for me. The reason I'm here is for you. Biblical community, it's not as much about what you get out of it 
I think that's another distinguishing characteristic. It's more about what you give than what you receive. Those verses we just read say, treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the, the interests of others as well. I think it's, it's hard for us to really adopt that perspective that, you know, the bulk of my time that I spend here, my energy, my, my gifts, my talents, what I have to offer, I'm engaging in giving and giving and giving and giving. And that's the way that I engage. Not by sitting, not by just taking, but by giving. I want to look over at this verse out of 1 Peter. You have that in your notes too. And it highlights our roles, I think, specifically as contributors of the community. So in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes, just as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So that was written by Peter. Paul writes nearly an identical verse, nearly an identical quote in the book of Romans and Ephesians and in the book of Corinthians. And Paul writes to Timothy, and he tells Timothy not to neglect the gift that he's been given. So this is something that's a theme that occurs across Scripture. Timothy's gifts were for the church. It's kind of what Paul's trying to establish here, and Peter. If you guys ever... um, you guys ever taken out a puzzle or done a puzzle with your kids and you start getting towards the end of it and you realize that it has like four pieces missing because they're like off under the couch or the coffee table or something somewhere and you're like, oh, like there's no satisfaction in completing the puzzle because all the pieces aren't there and you get frustrated all the pieces aren't there and you're like, I just want to throw this thing away, you know? Um, each of us in this family, in this community, we're each a piece of the puzzle, You are valuable, you're important, and you're necessary as part of this family. We all have value to other people, even when we feel like we don't have value. That one's the tough one. So you run into that a lot where it's like, I feel like I don't have anything to contribute, or I'm comparing myself to this other person. It seems like, you know, there's always someone that can do it better, right? But that's not what God said. That's not his design. God created you to have something to give. He, can tra- he created you to have something to contribute, to offer and give, no matter what you think about it. That's what God thinks about it. When we pull away from the community, all of those gifts that were meant for the community, they go unused and the community is now missing pieces and the community is now diminished. You have value. It's not because I think you have value or I think you don't have value. You have value because God says you have value. I think we need to stop listening to the voice of that reel that plays in the back of our head that tells us, no, I'm not good enough. Maybe somebody else will do it. I've failed at it before, so I'm not going to do it again. You're still gifted. You're still talented. That's still God's design is to use you. We have this... um, this language that we use around here, we call them our mantras. There's these little phrases that you'll hear over and over and over again on Sunday morning um, and throughout our ministries. And they're little short phrases, but they capture big ideas like this, big ideas like community. And I'm gonna highlight a number of them today. One of those mantras is, life happens best in community. And if you've been around for any length of time, you've heard Ben say it. You've heard other people up on the stage say it. Life happens best in community. There's a fullness to life when it's lived out in healthy biblical community. 
Life happens best, or it's at its most full, it's most complete when it happens around other people that share a common purpose and a common goal and a common mission. I wish we had a little bit more time to unpack that. Honestly, there's more there. Um, I feel like it's the nature of Sunday morning. You just get to scratch the surface of stuff, and then you got to move on to the next point. But um, we offer a class here uh, fairly often. Um, you'll hear us talk about it up on the stage when we, when we offer it. It's called Community Life. It's designed to be a discipleship class. Um, it's from the BUILD curriculum. It is a really good class. It takes in six weeks, and it takes some of these ideas that I'm talking about right here, and it expands it out. Honestly, portions of the message, it took, just took them right out of the bill book, you know? It's like, why would I try to reinvent the wheel? They've already taught it here, and I've been through the course. I'd encourage you guys to look for that and take that class the next time, because you get a much fuller sense or picture of some of the stuff we're talking about this morning. There's a lot to community in terms of the way God set it up. I think it's often different than what we perceive or think it's going to be. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to look at, like I said earlier, what God has planned in terms of his strategy for community. What's his role for us? What's his role for the community? What's his plan for the community kind of on the world's stage? So let's look at that for a couple minutes. Um, Let's flip to the Ephesians passage. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. So Paul writes... And to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan, the mystery that has been hidden for ages in God, who's created all things. The purpose of this enlightenment is that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. If you kind of think about for a second, what are the ways that God's chosen to reveal himself? What are the ways he's kind of manifested himself? There's a number of those things, right? Through creation, through the the world, he's said that I've made myself known through those things. He did it through Israel, his chosen people. I'm going to choose these guys who are nothing and make them something just to show my glory and my power and what I'm able to do through signs and miracles, through Jesus, um, through the Bible, the written word. He's revealed himself through the scripture. If I could kind of paraphrase Paul here, He's kind of saying, add one to the list, and this one is going to change everything. It's not going to diminish those other ways that God's revealed himself, but this one is different. This is going to change everything in terms of God's strategy. I encourage you guys on your own, maybe after church or sometime this week, read through chapter two, read all the way through chapter three, because Paul has an excitement here that this little snippet of the passage doesn't capture. He is flat out excited about God's plan and about the mystery that's now being revealed. And he's, he's a key component to kind of unleashing this plan and this idea on the world. Let's read again that phrase. The, multi, the, the purpose of this enlightenment is that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed. When God answers the question, how will people know who I am and what I'm doing? What's his best plan to do that? It's the church. It all hinges on our ability to live out healthy biblical community. You're kind of sitting there like, no pressure, right? <laughs> like I look at it, and I'm like, I'm sure glad he also gave us the Holy Spirit, because otherwise I feel like we'd just be falling flat on our face and tank it. I think it's important to realize the word that he uses in this verse in the original language. It doesn't actually directly translate to the word church. That's how we refer to it, and it makes sense. 
but it literally means the assembly or the called out ones. What's the direct translation of that word? But that's us. Do you guys realize that? That's us. It's not a building. The church is not a location. It's not a Sunday morning gathering, right? We think about that as church. It's not the Pope. It's not the Vatican. It is the assembly, the gathering of the people together of God and them living out community, but as he has spelled out what community looks like. And that is the multifaceted wisdom of God that's now on display for angels to look at, for the universe to, to wonder at, quite honestly. And I wonder at it too. <laughs> it amazes me a little bit because I would have done it differently. But I think if I could pull the audience and go across the audience, I think all of us probably would have done it differently. I don't think we would have used the church. God has a different strategic plan. It rests on humans. And when you look at humans, these are generations of people that are often self-centered, confused, short-sighted, flawed, easily discouraged, people that confuse the meaning and the message of Jesus, people who are fearful, people who are broken, right? That's kind of a picture of a lot of what you, you bring in the negative aspects of your humanity, what you bring to the, to the strategic plan. But God laid that out as the best way. He designed it so that we would find support together, that we would grow together, that we would find encouragement with one another, that we would be a people that are not gathered together haphazardly or inconsistently. This is not plan B. We were designed, we were assembled, and then we were deployed by the wisdom and the will of God. And I'll tell you, he has a lot more faith in this plan than we do. We doubt it. We doubt his ability to use us and use us. I think we need to see more of the power and potential of giving ourselves fully to the community and letting God work through that and fight against this idea of being so individualistic and independent because that's kind of the American culture that we bring into the church. I love that you know, almost any of the principles we teach up here, right, in the New Testament, you can just look at Jesus' life and say, see Jesus. But do you realize that Jesus, from the time he started his ministry to the time he died, was three and a half years. It wasn't very much time. He had three and a half years that he was going to establish God's redemptive plan on this planet. And how did he spend the bulk of his time? It wasn't strategic planning sessions, you know? It wasn't establishing, you know, some organization that was his big thing or whatever. He spent his time with these 12 guys. He spent his time in community. So for him, the plan wasn't like, okay, I've got, I've got to create some margin in my life to make some time for community while I do all of these other things that are really important. His strategy and his plan was community. That was the plan. And that's what he spent almost all of his time doing. And he modeled that for us. He lived among the people he was ministering to. He spent all his time with them. I love that. I feel like when we realize God's plan and we believe it's really going to work and we step into that and allow him to do some really amazing things through us, he, he's elevated us to this role of partnering with him in the ministry and the work that he wants to do here on this planet. That's a pretty high calling. I hope it excites you. I hope it scares you a little bit. It's a, it's a high bar. There's risk involved, isn't there? 
but I hope it excites you too. I want to talk about this third aspect of community. Um, it might be the most practical thing that we talk about today in this message. Um, I call it community gone wrong. What happens when it doesn't work? And I imagine I could, again, pull the audience and come up with stories of you guys. Everybody's got a story of it kind of not working. For the notes, I use this word um, greediness, the greediness of community. What makes it kind of gritty? What makes it kind of messy? You know that if you're in it for long enough, you'll realize that community is tough. It's difficult. It's challenging. It has obstacles. It can be hurtful. That doesn't mean that it's not good, and it doesn't mean that it's not by God's design. It just means it's full of sinners. And you hear this, this phrase, like, go out, leave this place, and you go find that perfect church. And then as soon as you join it, it's not perfect anymore. Right? That's the reality of it. We're all broken in some way. We're all flawed. We're all on a journey. Let's look at that Romans 12 passage. I think it's really helpful in developing this mindset for the greediness of community and framing that as we, as we talk about that a little bit more. So Romans 12, verse 10 and verse 16 says, Be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness and honoring one another. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Have you ever been kind of dissatisfied by community or even hurt by community? Um, if you have, you know, it's a little bit of a sensitive topic. And some people are, you know, likely sitting here and in the midst of some of that hurt right now. That's, it's even difficult to have somebody stand up on a stage and address that in a, in a fashion from the stage. And I get that. There's some sensitivity to it. For a strategic and as necessary as community is, there's times that it really stings and it really hurts and it goes wrong. So what happens when someone gets hurt? If I could turn this, or it, it can turn this, this thing we call community into something that's it's permanently diminished, unless we pursue a path to healing and we allow God to kind of reconcile that and make that right again. I think people say things like this in their head. Maybe not directly, but it's a mindset or a, a, a thought that gets thunk when, when you get hurt. They say, I'm hurt, so I've earned the right not to trust. Say so There's something like that that I think goes through our minds. Or I'm justified in pulling back. Maybe you believe everything we've said about community. You believe there's purpose. You believe you have giftedness. You believe it's part of God's plan. It's a strategy. But this hurt, somebody else's sin has pushed you away from it. I think the truth here is difficult that there's not an allowance in Scripture to stay in that spot of being hurt and withdrawn. God hasn't given us permission to stay there. There are other areas that I think are really similar to this in Scripture. Look at the, the passage that says, children, obey your parents. Does it say, obey your parents, and then say, if they make the right decisions? if they're wise, if they go to church, if they don't get a divorce. It doesn't say any of that. It just says, flat out, children, obey your parents, right? It says the same thing with us and giving. God says, honor me with the first fruits. Steward your money well. Push this stuff towards the kingdom. But it doesn't say, well, give only if you like your church. Give only if you think the leaders are great people. Give only if you think they spend it wisely. When you talk about people about giving long enough, and a lot of those things come up, they're like, well, 
God doesn't have a well on a lot of those things. <clears throat> there's, not a, there's not a release from our obligation when it comes to community. If you've been hurt, I have compassion. I really do. I've been hurt too. I'm sure mine's different than yours. There have also been times as a leader, I just want to quit. And it's because of people. It is. If you've let anything, you know it's true. Remember that God in all his wisdom, he chose to use humans. God allows us to go through things so that we grow. It produces something that's valuable. There's purpose in it. In any situation we're dealing with people, we need to fight not to be jaded by the things that have hurt us because the hurt will come. Like I said, if you have been hurt, you have my compassion, but you don't have God's permission to stay there. It may take some time to pursue healing. It may even mean, you know, redrawing boundaries, changing expectations as you, as you enter back into it. But the goal in the midst of that hurt is that you fully give yourself to community again, not partially, not diminished, but you say, I'm here for you. My role is to give myself away. That's the point of it. It's been so powerful to me too, personally, to know that, that Jesus in his own ministry, if you look at his relationship with Judas, Judas was one of the 12 followers. Judas was the betrayer. Scripture pretty clearly indicates that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus knew that he was going to his death. He's putting these pieces together. Jesus continued to remain in community with Judas. And Jesus continued to give himself fully to Judas. That's a hard pill to swallow. But what a model for, for us. What a model for how we're supposed to do it. <laughs> Jesus offered Peter such grace after Peter flat out denied him. So I don't know that guy. You know, Peter curses and says, I don't know that guy. And, and Jesus comes back and offers him such grace. Be devoted to one another. Show eagerness in honoring one another. Live in harmony with one another. It's not a call just to maintain the relationships in the community that we already have here. It's a call to deepen those relationships, and it's a call to restore and reestablish those relationships when they're broken. I want to talk about this other thing that I think makes community a little bit interesting, makes it a little bit gritty. As you're looking around the room, we're all different. We all think differently. We all come from a different background, right? And sometimes that can make community a little bit messy and a little bit gritty. God, he never intended for church to be a part, for, for church to be a group of naturally like-minded people that are all sitting around patting each other on the back. That's not the design. I think we want to make it that way sometimes. Can you imagine Jesus calling Peter to come follow him and then turning around like the seventh guy that he comes to, to ask to come follow him is Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. Peter, the Roman zealot, is down with the Roman government Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, he's the, he's the puppet of the Roman government. And Jesus puts them in the same group together. He says, we're going to live it, right? Can you imagine? It probably got pretty heated sometimes. They probably didn't disagree or see eye to eye all the time. But what did they have in common? They had in common Jesus. They had in common something that was greater. And I would imagine that even after the three and a half years, they got out the other end of that, they probably still disagreed on stuff. There was something greater that they had in common. 
I find it interesting that Jesus, he sets in motion this, this establishment of the church, right? And in the book of Acts in chapter 2, you see that there's like a melting pot of people, the amount of nations, languages, cultures that are all represented there. I think that is the most diverse church that the world has actually seen, that first church or establishment of a body of believers. And Jesus in his ministry, he put Samaritans and Jews, he put them together, right? These people hated each other. For generations, they hated each other. We say that America, we're the melting pot of nations. Our nation seems to be on the forefront of everybody hating each other, and we're good at it, right? I mean, that's what we see in the news, and it's getting worse. It's getting more polarized. What made it work for Jesus with Peter and Matthew? What made it work for those guys who saw the world so differently and painted the world so differently? It was Jesus. And it wasn't that they erased the ways that they thought. Their issues, politics, whatever, they became secondary. I didn't say they became unimportant. So don't hear me say the wrong thing here. They became secondary. I'm saying that there's something that's more important that we have in common with one another as a church family than whatever is dividing us. Peter and Matthew learned that in the presence of Jesus. They became brothers and they would have died for one another even if they would have argued for one another at the end. So draw your attention here. I don't want to get too distracted by talking about politics and that kind of stuff. Our natural expectation of community is this. We want easy to be around relationships. We want common interests. We want like-mindedness out of the church community, the church community, biblical community, it's not a social club. I want to put that on a bumper sticker. Just go slap it on cars, you know, around Reed Ranch or something. Community is not a social club. You're not in it for your pleasure or your satisfaction. You're in it to give yourself away, to exercise your giftedness, to support each other, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to grow alongside each other, to serve alongside one another, to love the people that are here in, in a no-strings-attached sort of way. The like-mindedness we have, it's not around politics. It's not around our interests. It's not around how we spend our time. There's a different quality about community that's the end goal here. And it's not actually about you. It's about everybody else. There's another mantra that we use here. We say we're a family of families a household of faith. What's it like inside your own family? Is it always perfect? You guys never disagree? Are there no fights? No, that's how you, no one would describe their family that way. Well, how would we describe our family, our church family, the family of families? Well, sometimes we fight. Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we do the wrong thing. That's all part of it. So easy. I mean, when, when it comes to your nuclear family, you could, you could just be mad at them or take a break for a while, but you kind of got to come back. Like family, do you realize they don't go anywhere? They're still there. You just got to deal with them, right? What do we do with church family when we get hurt, offended, and whatever, disagree? Well, there's another church down the road I can go to. I'm just going to get a new family, you know? It's a bad way of thinking. <laughs> it's unhealthy. I get it. I know why people do it, but we shouldn't do it. God wants us to fix the relationships and be closer than we were before. Community, it's something that you join, but I think a better way to think about it is it's something that you practice. Community is a discipline. There's times when it's great and you love it. There's times when it's hard. 
I want to talk just about a couple practical things that we can do, um, kind of tie a bow on some stuff. Maybe hits where people are in the audience today in some ways, but the, the first practical thing, the next step that we could take is pretty obvious, join the community. <laughs> what does it look like to join the community? Um, we have some more language that we use. We say that the larger group exists to facilitate the smaller group. What does that mean? It means a lot of the purpose here of Sunday morning, even though there's good things that happen here on Sunday morning, there's purpose to it, right? Other than just creating community. But much of the purpose of Sunday morning gathering is that people enter in here and it's an entry point and they launch off of this into community. So if the only thing you ever do is come here and sit on Sunday morning, I'm glad you're here. I really am. But you're only ever standing in the doorway of community. I need to consider stepping into it and taking a risk, going to meet some strangers and people that you don't know. Maybe they're going to be weird. I don't know. Um, some people are weird. <laughs> Sunday mornings is similar in some ways to a family reunion. You guys go to a family reunion, you kind of relay the Christmas card version of your life, you know, and all the people that are there. But you don't know those people in like a life on life daily. I'm living it with them every day. But what does it look like when you, you go home and you sit down with dinner and you're eating dinner at a table with the people that you eat with and, and see every day? You know those people. You walk life with those people. You could look at any of them and say, I know what they're going through. I know the good along with the bad, and I can pray with them. That is a picture of community groups at Vail Christian Church. It's these families that join together, and they do life together, and they live together. They serve together. They learn together. They pray together. And you start really knowing these people, and that becomes this really strong and tight-knit community. That is not Sunday morning. The only thing that you have time to do on Sunday morning is like say hi to someone that's serving you a cup of coffee because you're already late, right? Just trying to get into church. I'm not being critical. I'm glad you're here. But that's the way it is. We're rush, rush, rush. I got four kids. I try to get here myself too. My wife, she's actually doing it by herself on Sunday morning. She's just trying to get to church. When she gets here, she's like, oh, I'm here. Right? But Sunday morning, it's, just, it's not set up in a way where we establish this deep community. I think the next thing that we can focus on is draw in the outsider. Who's the stranger? Who's the new person? Who's the person that they, maybe this is their first Sunday and they're sitting here and they're listening to Pastor Matt for the first time, you know, trying to figure out what this place is all about. When we look around and we see people like, oh man, that person has like the deer in the headlights look and I can tell they don't even know where the front door is, you know? You can go up to them and greet them. Just say hi. Or if you're in a community group and someone comes to visit your community group for the first time, your job is to go after them. There's just as much responsibility on the people that are in community to reach out and draw in the people that are not connected to community yet as there is on the new person that's standing in the doorway and saying, I got to walk through that doorway. Both people need to be reaching out to each other, kind of pulling on that relationship. So there's a role. If you're already in here and you're connected, get to work. There's a lot of, there's so many people that visit our church on a Sunday morning right now. There's so many houses being built in our area. It's kind of mind boggling, but there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, not just stay with the people that you know the best, but to reach out and say, yeah, I want to I want to help draw you into this thing that somebody else invited me to, and they helped me. They helped draw me in. I can tell you as far as community groups go, here's the rub. Here's the risk. What if I invite somebody in, and they wreck our dynamic? You know? Like, we've got a good thing going on. We've kind of, and it, it, it's a good thing, because you've hit the target in some ways. 
You've arrived in this place where now these people that are here, I have really great relationships with them and I'm comfortable with that. But be careful about that word comfortable because a lot of times when you say that in your mind, I think that's the opportunity where God's shaking you a little bit and saying, if you just said that, you need to get yourself in a place that's not comfortable. You need to take a risk. It's time for a newcomer. It's time to invite somebody in that they might wreck the dynamic. It might happen. I already said people are weird, right? You get this thing going on, you have somebody else that comes in and it doesn't, they, they don't quite fit, you know? But I'm so glad it's not a social club. I'm so glad that we don't have to rally around our like-mindedness and our common interests and the things we spend time on. I'm so glad that our commonality is Jesus. And the reason that we do it is because we're going to be tied together because of Jesus. Not because of all these other things that I actually think we kind of naturally lean toward. It's time to take the risk, invite somebody in. We just, I want to share a quick story with you guys. We just had a community group um, spring break this year, so two months ago. They had, had eight consistent families in the group. It's um, 16 adults, right? Gang load of kids. They intentionally split when they were, didn't want to split. They were comfortable inside the group. They were like, we love each other. This is a great group. We hit the target. They intentionally split for the purpose of just opening up new seats. Four families went one way. Four families went the other way. Two months later, those two groups between them have 13 families in them right now. Like, we need to do that more. We need to look around inside of our groups and say, who's going to be the next one to kind of go outside the fence, go outside the camp, take a risk, and gather some more people together? We just got to trust God with that. I know we get in a spot where we're comfortable. I get in a spot where I'm comfortable too. I think the last thing that we can focus on here just for a few seconds is lead and support leadership of community. Some of us are in groups. We haven't quite gotten to this step yet, but we're really supporting that group. And instead of just kind of going and being a part of the Bible study and eating the appetizers and hanging out with those folks socially, you haven't gotten to the point where you're really giving yourself or you're saying, the reason that I'm here is to make this group possible. The reason I'm here is to be for this group and to push this group forward to the next level. And I think some of us need to step into that and support a leader. Over the last couple of years, I've had a handful of leaders that they just burnt out. They're so tired of I got to clean the house every single week. I got to put the invite out, do the communication, make the food, lead the study, organize the childcare, pay the sitter, pick them up, drop them off. I mean, you just name it. There's a lot involved if you take all that on in yourself. And we got a lot of other things going on. You can do so many of those things. Almost anything that our leaders do, the people in the group can also do. You can lead the discussion also. You can open up your door and clean your house and host the people in the group. You can even have people in roles that do that. Maybe someone needs to be a social coordinator. Maybe someone needs to be hospitality. Your child care. Figure it out each week. You don't have to do all the work, but you got to get somebody else to do it. You can kind of take those off the leader's plate. Allow them to be even better leaders. And I think some of us too, we need to step into leadership. It's our turn. You know, we've been in a group that's been healthy. It's been modeled to us. And we know, here's what I find oftentimes. Like if, I'm, if that's you and I'm talking to you right now, you've already known for a while. And most of the people that come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Matt, I'm thinking about leading a group. I've been thinking about it for the last eight months, but I'm here to talk to you about it now. I'm like, why didn't you come eight months ago? <laughs> most of the time, God's been tugging on your heart for a while. This spring, this, this fall and this spring, I want to start some more groups 
so many houses going up around us, so many people that are coming and visiting. We need to kind of live out the mission of the church and make room in life for other people. Make room in life to connect people to others and God. So I want to just kind of end by saying, I want to take hold of and really embrace this challenge as our church continues to grow, which seems to be the pattern right now. Our church is growing. It's getting bigger. As it continues to grow, one challenge would be just to maintain the level of relationships and maintain a proportional number of groups. But I don't want to just maintain, even though that's challenging in and of itself. I think we need to push to a deeper level of community within the community we already have. At the same time, we expand it. And that's a high calling. And it's not going to take me just doing it and trying to chip away at all the work. There's too many people. It takes us adopting this family mentality, this I'm here for you mentality. And I'm going to do what it takes to give whatever I have to make it work and make it go. And I'm going to work through the hurt, work through the grittiness. I'm just going to have that expectation going in. That's a better way to put it. I'm going to enter into this group of people, and at some point it's going to get messy, but I'm committed right now. I'm just going to stick it out. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this morning. Um, God, thanks for the things that you've given us as a church in terms of resources of people and the talent that's just sitting here in the audience right in front of me, God. The giftedness, the uniqueness to your strategy. God, I ask that you help us live up to it. That you help us raise the bar, rise to the challenge. That you'd send your spirit to just fill us in a powerful way to be effective with that, God. To enter into community, to to make it good, to make it how you've designed it, to know we're going in with the right expectations on it. And God, to sit back and just watch you do some really amazing things because you've already spelled it out and told us this is your plan and we got to trust you with that. Your plan is community. Your plan is to use us to change the world. Your plan is that when we get this right and Jesus becomes the most important thing that we rally around, it starts looking different and attractive to other people that see it, God. And it's by design. The whole thing's by design. And God, I feel like it brings so, so much glory and honor to you the way you've set it up in a way that boggles us that we would have probably never done. Help us to step into that fully, Lord. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.